0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at the first 13 verses in this chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. We're going through the pastoral epistles, and it's all about how to behave in church. And in Baptist polity, we have two offices in the local church that are described in the Bible Those offices are pastors and deacons. I know some other denominations have different designations for that, but these are what we see. Our text in 1 Timothy lists those two offices and in verses one through seven, we have the qualifications for the pastors and in verses eight through 13, the list for the deacons and their wives. So the title of the message this morning, Qualifications of Church Leaders. And as we think of these, these are not just qualifications that are, are a nice thing to check off if you're looking at someone to make sure that they took off uh, some of the boxes. Maybe 80% of those would be fine. Uh, we'll, we'll let him be the pastor. No, these are stipulations that uh, God has placed and expects of those who serve in official capacities in the, in the church. If men don't live up to these qualifications, in God's eyes, they're disqualified. You might say, well, I know pastors who are not real honest in their financial world. Uh, I know some pastors who have run off with someone's wife, and they just uh, go down to another church, and they seem to have a ministry there, and they're doing just fine. Well, he may have a job, but he does not have a ministry. God is the one who decides whether people are qualified for ministry or not. Even Paul knew that he could be disqualified from what God had called him to do. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, he said, but I keep under my body. It's an interesting phrase there. It literally means to, to blacken his eye, to beat himself up. Okay? He's serious about getting victory in this area. I keep under my body and bring it unto, into subjection. That is, I make it a slave, I subdue my fleshly desires, the old man, even though, um, because even though he preached to others, he, he could be a castaway, and he says that. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway, that is, tried and proven faithless or faulty. You might say, well, as we look at this passage today, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a deacon, how does this apply to me? I'm reminded of what I used to hear often when I taught math and science and Bible in a Christian high school. Students would often ask, when are we ever going to use this in real life? As if this isn't real life, you know, this class. But they're saying, if I'm never going to use it from be in my life, why should I pay attention in class now? Well, a math teacher next door to me had a, a detailed wall chart, which I loved, and I, I would send them over there to read that chart, and it answered that question. It was a result of interviewing people from 100 different occupations and illustrating more than 350 problems that those workers encountered every day. And it showed how they relied on 71 of the math applications that they were learning in that class. So how do you know um, about the qualifications and why do we need to know about the qualifications of pastors? Well, number one, churches change pastors. Whether a man moves away or the Lord calls him home, there will be a time in the church's life when they have to call a candidate in and examine him to see if he would be the next potential pastor for that church. When he does, you need to know the qualifications that the Bible gives. We've seen churches call a man to be a pastor, and they often regret it. They, they look good at the initial visit, but they didn't do due diligence to find out exactly, does he meet these biblical qualifications or not? And they can do a lot of great damage to a church. You know, we, we go to a lot of lengths when we have to have a surgical procedure to make sure that we find a doctor who's qualified, who's done this before, who has a good success rate, because he's going to, to work on our physical body. Why aren't we as concerned about our spiritual bodies? our hearts, our spiritual walk with the Lord. Uh, let's not be careless in, in making sure a man uh, comes as a minister. Secondly, churches, uh, church members change churches. That's the nature of our culture. You move, you go to another, another location, you, you visit a church, you say, is this man qualified or not? You need to know the, this list. Number three, you need to know what 2 Timothy 3 says so that you can help someone else. Somebody else in the church is saying, this is what our pastor is doing. What do you think? Or God may be preparing someone here to pastor a church. In the 23 years that I've been here, we've seen several young men called into the ministry, and they need to know. So there might be someone sitting here today whom God will call into ministry, and you need to know the qualifications. Well, what about these qualifications of deacons later on? You ought to know why we have deacons. The first deacons were chosen to help in the the daily distribution of the the needs for the widows so that the apostles said they could give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what deacons do. They help. They serve. You ought to be able to determine men who would be good deacons. Our church, every year, we have a rotating deacon board and uh, deacons serve for three years. They're allowed to uh, either take a, a breather after that or go right back into it as they're nominated. But in our nomination box, and it'll be coming up uh, here in July, uh, you'll, you'll see this list of qualifications for deacons. We want you to be aware of those. Uh, you also might run into someone else who doesn't know what a deacon is supposed to be, and so you'll have this material for that. And some of you should be deacons, whether in this church or a church that you attend in the future. And so there's always a need for godly men who meet these qualifications. But also, everyone in the church should be aware of God's standards for leadership. These are qualifications that God sets for the Christian leaders. Wouldn't they be great great standards if every Christian tried to live up to them? Absolutely. Guthrie says, all the qualities are to be expected in any serious Christian person, but especially so in Christian leaders. So as we go through these, it's not bad to make the application to yourself personally, am I living the kind of life that, that would qualify me to serve in a capacity that God has? So there are 15 qualifications of the pastors in verses one through seven. Let's just read the text, and then we'll, we'll make some comments about uh, what a bishop is, and then we'll go through the list. This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, nor covetous, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. There we see in in this text twice, once in verse 1 and once in verse 2, that the church leader here talking about is a bishop. There are three terms in the Bible that are used for one individual, the pastor of the church. One of the the words is bishop. It's a Greek word which is episkopos. Epi is above and skopos is to examine or to look. And so he is an overseer. This word speaks of the responsibility of the office of the pastor. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, We read, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So he looks over the church to make sure that they're being fed. Then we have the word pastor or shepherd, poimen. Out of all the times the words used in the New Testament, it's only translated pastor in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Every other place it's translated with the word shepherd. And that speaks of the care of the pastor's office. Another word is elder, presbyteros. That speaks of the maturity of the office. He's he's walked with the Lord. He can set an example because of the experience, the maturity that he has. An interesting passage, if you're talking about, to someone else about why we have uh, the different names for one person, is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And in that passage, we find all three words used um, or referred to for this man. The elders, presbyteros, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. Peter here, writing, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock. Here, that poimano, the verb, and then the poimion, the flock. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight. And that's the episkopos, the overseeing thereof. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, not because of financial advantage, but of a ready mind, because you are called to that. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Well, those are the, those are the terms, and I think that's important as we, as we consider what a bishop is. Uh, it's an overseer, okay? But one man, he should be the, uh, the responsibility of the office, an overseer. The care of the office, he should be a shepherd. Uh, The maturity of the office, uh, he should be an elder. Now let's look at the qualifications that God gives in, in 1 Timothy 3. The first is blameless, that means above reproach. It doesn't mean that he's perfect, the word literally means not able to be held. That is, there's not something that he's done in his life that you can lay a hold of and say, this is what he's done, this is wrong. He doesn't give the enemies of the church any reason to grab onto a fault and bring him down by attacking his reputation. Then we have husband of one wife. Literally, that means he's a one-woman man, literally. This really goes beyond the description of being married or divorced, Or having more than one wife, it goes much deeper to the heart attitude that he has, more than just his marital status. It means that he he doesn't give attention to other women. He's married to one woman, that's his wife. He loves her exclusively. A one-woman man isn't the kind of man that stands at the back of the church and while he's shaking hands he's flirting with the ladies. You won't find him out on on what looks like a date. You say, isn't that pastor so-and-so? Who's he with? That's not his wife. He cannot be accused of anything that looks the least bit suspicious. He's a one-woman man. Now, some people say, does that exclude single men from ministry? That's a good question. I don't think so. I think there are great advantages to having a wife in ministry But scripturally, I can't think of a man to be prohibited from the ministry because he's single. Paul was single at this time, 1 Corinthians 7, 8. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Be content if that's where you are in in life. It's okay to be single. It's okay to be married. This, uh, This does exclude women from being ordained to the pastoral ministry, now, if you look around, you'll find a lot of churches, and it's, it's changing quickly. There's a survey that was done 10 years ago where the Evangelical Lutheran Church statistics uh, said that there were 2,800 ordained women in their churches. The Episcopal Church of America had, had 12% of its ministers who were women, American Baptists, 12%, United Methodists, 15%, Presbyterian Church USA, 19%. The Presbyterian Church USA has been ordaining women to serve as deacons since 1906. They've ordained women to serve as elders since the 1930s. Uh, They have ordained women to serve as as full ministers since the 1950s. Well, just uh, six years later, if you add those groups together, the study that they have done say that 32% of the total clergy in these churches are women. Things are changing quickly. The word bishop in 1 Timothy 3.1 is masculine in gender. And so are all the adjectives given in verses 2 through 6. If leadership in the church were open to women because the verse is teaching marital fidelity, this would have been worded for the woman to be the wife of one man. I think the clearest uh, proof of what God says for church leadership being male is 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12, a passage we've already looked at. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And remember, that's the context of church ministry. It's also in the context, the reason is given because of the created order. Adam was created first and then Eve. This is not Paul's preference, as some argue, or his opinion. This is God's standard. He's to be, third, vigilant. That's temperate, sober in judgment. A great word would be careful. Um, later, the phrase not given to wine is specifically talking about the abstinence from alcohol. So here the idea is of being uh, circumspect, that word to look around. Um, to be discerning. So the King James translators correctly used this word watchful uh, for being watchful, vigilant. Fourth, he's to be sober, self-controlled. Here the, the word has more to do with have a, having a sober mind, being serious. I, I think it's good to have a sense of humor. We need that. But when you go to someone and you really need help for some serious spiritual matter, you don't want someone just cracking jokes and taking things lightly. You want someone who is sober. Number five of good behavior, that is orderly or arranged with carefulness. This is the word that we saw in 1 Timothy 2.9. It was the word there translated adornment, who's adorning. It's cosmias, to describe the modest, the careful arrangement of how a woman comes to church. The pastor is to conduct himself in an orderly fashion. Homer Kent writes, orderliness refers not only to the structure of his sermons, but the nature of his habits, whether physical, moral, or mental. Gordon MacDonald has written a great book, uh, that's called Ordering Your Private World, where a lot of people organize their their calendars, their schedules and see an importance to that. This book emphasizes the importance of of an organized heart before God, Ordering Your Private World, it's a great book. Number six, given to hospitality. Literally, it means to show love to strangers or people that you don't know. In the Old Testament and in first century Christianity, Uh, Traveling was dangerous. Even in the inns that were available, they were very dangerous places to stay. So when a person opened his home to travelers, it was a great blessing. And so he's supposed to be given to hospitality. Seventh, apt to teach. It's having an aptitude, an ability to open the Word of God, to explain what it means, to show how it applies in our lives. Apt to teach. Number eight, given to wine, not, I'm sorry, (laughs) not given to wine. There was one of the versions of the scriptures that was written that said, it left out not, thou shalt commit adultery. It was known as the adulterer's Bible, so don't misquote me on this, okay? (laughs) Not given to wine, not addicted to alcohol. An addicted pastor is a disqualified pastor. Number nine, no striker. Now this has to do with striking with your hand or your fist. One who loses his temper, resorts to physical violence. The verse goes on with the opposite quality, but patient. That's number 10. We have the words here, not greedy of filthy lucre. We'll cover that under the 12th point where it's not covetous. So number 10, patient, forbearing, peaceable, ready to forgive. Don't you know some people some people that you just, you want to make things right and they eh not yet. Let me let, let, think about it some more before I forgive you. Okay, here he's he's patient, ready to forgive. Eleven, not a brawler, not contentious, not quarrelsome, but peaceable, forgiving, and gracious. Number 12, not covetous, free from the love of money, greedy. Or a filthy lucre um, that is uh, getting gain in, a, in an evil way. This a pastor should be content with what God provides for him. We often think of John Rockefeller, who was asked the question, "How much money do you does a person need?" And he answered, "Just one more dollar." Um, we need to to make sure that we trust God for everything. Um, You ought to do some research sometime on popular pastors and evangelists and find out what their take is or what their ministry makes. And it it will surprise you. We want to make sure we are not living for pay. Number 13, one that ruleth well his own house. Um, having children in subjection with gravity. The reason is stated, if one can't rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? The word rule there means to to have authority over. um, As the head of the home, uh, a man is responsible for what takes place there. As the head of a church, it's the same thing. And then the word care, how can he take care of the church of God? It's an interesting word. It's used in in the story of the Good Samaritan, where the Samaritan bound up and treated the victim's wounds and took him to the inn, and it says he took care of him. So a pastor should be responsible for those in the church, and he also should take care of hurting people. Number 14, not a novice. Literally, it's not somebody who's been newly planted, not a new convert, and the reason is given so that he won't be puffed up and fall into the judgment of the devil. There's a temptation for men who are beginning in ministry to be proud. Paul will say in 1 Timothy 5, not to lay hands on anyone quickly, that is to ordain men quickly. Give them time. The result of this uh, being puffed up is to fall into judgment of the devil. Now, of can be taken two ways, and I think it's clear here how it should be taken, but it could be of or by the devil, that is, Satan is the one who judges him. But I don't think that's as accurate as as thinking of it's the same judgment that the devil received. If you read in Isaiah chapter 14, you'll see, How art thou fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And he said, I will, five times in that passage, I will ascend unto heaven, I will be like the Most High. And, and that's pride, and I think it fits right here uh, because of that, uh, not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride and fall into that same condemnation that Satan fell into as Lucifer. The last, have a good report from those without. That is a good testimony to others, whether they're believers or unbelievers. Uh, the pastor's mechanic should know that he has good character. His accountant should know that he is a man of integrity, having a good report from those without. Now, we come to verses 8 through 13, and we'll have to move quickly here. There are nine qualifications of a deacon. Notice the first word in verse 8, likewise, and he talks about the deacon. And then in verse 11, even so, it's the same word as likewise. So there are three people that are categorized here. First the pastor, then likewise the deacon, and even so the deacon's wife. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also be first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So likewise, the deacons are to be grave. The word serious in mind, serious in character, a good uh, synonym would be honorable, worthy of respect or sincere. Second, not double tongue, not saying two different things depending on who he's talking to. Not hypocritical. Uh, the word is only found here in the New Testament, but so his tongue is controlled. He says the same thing all the time. Third, not given to much wine. He knows Proverbs 20, chapter twenty verse one that says wine is a mocker strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise again sobriety and then fourth not greedy of filthy lucre or sordid gain remember these men were responsible as deacons for the financial disbursements to those widows who had need they wanted men who wouldn't be slipping some under the table into uh, to a friend or into their own pocket so they should be far above suspicion that, that any have who, who are living for wealth. The deacon demonstrates that he too is content. He has absolute trust in the providential supply of God. Leo Tolstoy has a fascinating story about the, the, a successful peasant farmer. And uh, he, was, he was given a thousand, or offered for his payment of a thousand rubles to have as much ground that he wanted, as much land as he could, he could walk around in one day. And so he started out, he paid his money, and he started out, and he started on a fast pace, and as the day progressed, he saw more land, a little lake that he would like to have, and kept walking and kept walking, realized he needed to start making it back or everything would be lost. And so he started back to that finish, that starting point, and as he did, the sun was setting and it was getting darker, almost darker, and so he was, he was running to get there. And he staggered across the, the, the line of, of, that he started just as the sun disappeared. He made it. But he immediately collapsed, and in a few minutes, he was dead. His servants dug a, a grave. It was six feet long and just two to three feet wide. And the title of Tolstoy's story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? (laughs) Not greedy of filthy lucre, sordid gain. Fifth, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now, the mystery in scripture is a truth that's concealed in the Old Testament, but it's revealed later in the New Testament. And so the mystery of the faith is simply the New Testament revelation, so, a deacon should believe the doctrines of the faith. He should live his life in accordance to the scriptures with a clear conscience. Then, proved. Here, approved after testing. Some think this means a deacon should, should be on a, a probation period, whereas others see that uh, he just needs to meet the qualifications of the deacon. They say the testing is not man's testing, but it's God's testing. God puts him through extreme tests, and, and uh, his faith has not wavered, and so that can be evident. The seventh is blameless, beyond reproach, unable to be charged as in a court setting. We'll get to the eighth and the ninth, but we have this uh, interruption here uh, in speaking of the four qualifications of the deacon's wife. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slander, not slanderers. Sober, faithful in all things. There's a lot of discussion today about whether the wife of the deacon is being referred to here or if it's a, a separate office of a deaconess, and some churches have deaconesses. Well, let the passage address both of those. Since we have women who serve in various aspects of church ministry, whether they have that title of a deaconess or not, ask yourself, do, do I meet these qualifications? Grave. Serious, dignified, it's the same word that was used to describe the first qualification for the deacon. She too should be serious. Not slanderers, here is a word diabolos, it's used of Satan himself, the false accuser, and that's what it means. Not not a false accuser, not someone who brings up an alternate story that would be a gossip. Uh, Third, sober, again temperate, sober thinkers, sound in judgment. Faithful in all things, absolute trustworthiness. Now in verse 12, he returns to the deacon and his family. He's to be also a one-woman man. Same words, husband of one wife, faithful to his marriage vows. Number nine, ruling children and household well. Not only making sure that his children are obedient and orderly, but his house is in order, his finances, his possessions. He rules his family well, and he's also in control of his life. We come to verse 13. I didn't think we'd get there before 12 o'clock. 13 is a summation verse. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Just as we saw in verse 1, if a man desire the office of a bishop, He desireth a good work. So the office of a deacon is the office of good degree. This is something that God intends for the church to to have, these men. They should be the leaders that God intends for them to be in the churches. And Deacons who serve well gain the confidence of those in the church and in the community. Others will be influenced by their faith. Others will be influenced by their ministry. Henry Varley of West London, England, made a statement that greatly affected a man—a young man by the name of D.L. Moody. He said, "The world has yet to see what God can do with, and for, and through a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him." As Moody reflected on that, he said, "A man. He meant any man. He didn't say he had to be educated or brilliant or anything else. Just a man." Well, by the Holy Spirit in me, Moody said, I'll be that man. Will you tell the Lord this morning, I will rise to the qualifications that you give. I want to be a spiritual help to others. I want to be all that you, can, that you want me to be and that you give me the grace to be so that you can be glorified. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that each of us would strive to live up to your expectations of of your servants. May we serve you where you place us with all the spiritual graces and the spiritual gifts that you give us. May our language and our actions and our attitudes be such that commend our faith. Help us as we as we move around in our world, that our interactions with others would prove that Christ lives in us. May it not be for us, but for the glory of God. We pray in his name, amen.